Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the fireside retreat here. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> All right, we got a few guys here. They only gave us 10 minutes. They gave the ladies Mother's Day like 20, 25 minutes. So I don't know. We probably won't. We'll probably have one word answers, won't we? 10 10 minutes? Okay. Are you going to take nine of those minutes? (laughs) So why don't we just take a a minute and uh, introduce ourselves for... Keep it down. (laughs) Uh, To introduce ourselves and uh, just let you know who we are. Uh, My name's Andy, and I am a father. I'm a father of three girls, Abby, Emily, and Bridget, and uh, they're pretty awesome. Yeah, I wrote that down. They're great. Hi, I'm Jerry Weatherby, uh, and I have two kids, uh, Caitlin and Jason, and just this past year, we've added a daughter-in-law, Bella, who's just as precious to us. My name is Andrew Shannon, uh, my wife Sherry, uh, the oldest Jonah, and then Josiah, and then Luca. Morning, everyone. My name's Clint Rahul. I have four children, and apparently a bald son that I didn't know about, I guess. Yeah, he's looking more like his father every day, isn't he? All right, guys, so uh, I think uh, you guys have seen some questions beforehand, so we'll just ask a, a few questions um, just about being a father and what it's meant to you and how it's kind of changed and, and your thoughts on that. And the first question I have here is, what is your favorite part of being a dad? Jerry, why don't we start with you? Uh, uh, well, my favorite part of being a dad is uh, being with my kids, obviously. It's, it's really great. They're, they're great kids and they they really they make me laugh a lot and uh, they make me proud a few things written down here um when the kids bring home candy i get to sample it it's one of my favorite things and like my brother joel says it's candy tax (laughs) but i guess as a whole i just enjoy doing life together with my kids uh sometimes i've put too much humor in it, and Sherry thinks that she has another child to look after. Um, when I read this question, I, I, I really thought about it, and I couldn't really put my finger on any one specific thing as to what really special being a dad was, but as the kids go through different stages of life, there's different things that you treasure or, or really enjoy. Um, like when they're younger, just watching them take their first steps and, and just get into stuff and start exploring and seeing stuff. And, and then sometimes when you come home from work, they, you know, they're a little older, two or three years old, and they come running to meet you at the door and, and just those special little things like that. Yeah, I definitely agree with all what the guys said there too. And I think one of my favorite parts is, is just, uh, the laughs, the conversations, like it's, Everybody likes to, to build on a good relationship and uh, enjoy each other's company. And, and when you're uh, raising kids, you get to see just the mind development. And as they're growing and getting older and they're stringing words together and sentences that don't quite make sense, but they're hilarious. I remember my, Bridget always used to say, oh, what today is it? What today is it? Instead of what day is it today? And just the the as they kind of learn and, and figure things out and, and just, it gets you thinking too. So it's, they keep you on your toes for sure. It's, it's definitely a, a mental acrobatics trying to teach kids and, and navigate that. And uh, I just, I just love it. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, another question here, prior to becoming a dad, what expectations and hopes or hopes and dreams did you have that you were not at all, or who wrote this question? Prior to becoming a dad, what expectations, hopes, and dreams did you have that were not at all what fathering turned out to be? Um, I think with me, uh, I didn't have really expectations of what fatherhood would be. You know, you hear a lot of cliches saying that it it changes your life and 
And uh, I guess it's a cliche for a reason because it definitely does change your life. All of a sudden, you go to having so much more free time and, and time to yourself. And then you've got a, a baby in the house and you're on like 24-7 guard duty making sure that that thing is still operating. And <laughs> and so you want to you wanna make sure like you're, you're on guard, you're attentive, right? So uh, I, I guess uh, it does change your life in that way. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I always think back to when uh, when Abby was first born. Like when when we had her, I cried. I don't know why I cried, but I cried. It was I guess it was joy, and I've been like a softy ever since. Like movies will make me cry now, and just watching like the first ten minutes of Up from Pixar, I was like, oh my gosh, you know. I I could handle that when I was a teenager, but for some reason, you know, your your paradigm changes a little bit about the way you think about things, and you don't even realize it's just, it sneaks up on you, and you're just, all of a sudden you're a new person. Yeah, there's a new person in your house, and you're a new person too. So I guess I didn't expect that. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, um, I did have expectations about uh, being a father and what it what it meant to be a father and what it meant to be a good father. Uh, and I thought that if I did all the right things personally, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, be consistent in my devotions, uh, work hard, make sure the family uh, got out to all the right meetings and, and did all the right things, you know, and, and personally uh, just uh, had the right mindset then my kids would would uh, be um, confident they would be uh, successful they would be the kind of people that I hoped that they would be uh, and just by kind of like osmosis they would they would learn from me or or they would learn all the right things to do and say and and how to how to uh, uh, relate in the world, uh, but uh, I found out, um, you know, uh, hopefully it wasn't too late, but that kids really need engagement. They need to be, especially from fathers, uh, you know, they need fathers to be uh, personally involved in their lives and to uh, challenge their thinking a little bit and, and, and not just challenge them, but be interested in their lives and, and be interested enough to ask, you know, how's your day going? Uh, and really, uh, you know, not settle for those one-word answers, but, you know, kind of dig out the, the truth and, and, uh, and want, to, want to hear about their kids' days and, and want to be involved in their lives. That's what kids need. And, and earlier on, I didn't... I didn't um, expect that i didn't uh, and i didn't i didn't uh, take that approach but uh, hopefully the lord has been gracious enough to to kind of smooth over those edges for me i never thought i would ask the question why so many times you know and or even dawning on the fact like a little bit like what andy said you know like if you're adding on to your house do it before you have children because the amount of building materials you pull out of your children's mouths is just unbelievable. <laughs> you know, and you think that life would be simple and things would be cookie cutter and everything else, but, you know, like, I find some of those things, you know, starting out, you know, when you're, when you're married, you know, it's like your career choice and then, you know, you, you have an unstable market at the time and then you didn't always kind of get things that you, you kind of hoped you would get. And so you just kind of like change things up quite a bit. You know, and life is all about changing and, you know, like adapting and, you know, but I trade things. No, like I just, I just sometimes I think, you know, like beforehand you think, you know, your hopes and dreams are going to be a certain way and then you end up changing them up for work and sleep or something, you know, but, you know, you, you have to, you know, and again, what Jerry said too, you know, it's all important to spend that time with the kids, you know, and to, you know, yeah, it didn't look like this, but, you know, you have to work in a direction that's really going to, you know, be beneficial and, you know, and a, a blessed life. I guess before we had children, I didn't really have any expectations of what it was going to be like. Um, 
so once we had our first child, well, then you kind of get an expectation of what other children are going to be like, and then all of a sudden they come along and they're totally different. To throw everything out of the window that worked on the first one doesn't work on the second one, or the third one, or the fourth one. So each time you're learning. Um, but yeah, right from the beginning, I didn't really have any, but as it went through, things certainly changed. Clint? What's the uh, most difficult aspect of being a dad? Having children? <laughs> That's all of our answers. There you go. <laughs> uh, the most difficult um, would uh, making the changes with each child to try to bring them up to know the Lord and, and to get to understand them and, and what they're looking for so that you can give that to them. Um, as they get older, they will find their own way and you just hope that you've led them the right way and, and done things correctly, but they will make their own decisions. I think a difficult aspect uh, is the, just the technology age that we live in, you know, like I just can't raise my children like I was raised. It's just not going to happen, you know, you almost have to be an IT tech to figure out, you know, like everything what's going on in the house at all times and you just feel like you're, you're constantly changing and how, you know, you're, you're trying to adapt to certain things but at the same time, it kind of reminds me of what Carrie said, you know, like, you know, you feel like you're saying no a lot to your children because all the culture is going in a certain way. And, you know, like I was just four-wheeling the other day and, and I saw a kid coming up just next to where the road was and he had a stick with fish on it. And I'm thinking, I haven't seen that and I can't remember, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, like this is something, you know, like life skills are some of the things that we're, sometimes we're lacking and, and things move so fast that sometimes we don't slow down and go, okay, well, time to teach you on how to do this or that, you know. And it's, it's kind of difficult to kind of, that's one thing I, I find is difficult, is trying to, trying to be a father that's on the track to life when everything else is against the grain, like, you know. I think for me, the, uh, <clears throat> the hardest, one of the hardest things about being a father is always finding that T-shirt with, with the coolest sayings, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool pop. <laughs> Uh, no, um, everything about being a father is difficult, uh, <laughs> but I guess one of the things that, that I really uh, minded was waning like the moon. You know how the moon, when it first comes up over the horizon, is this big, bright, orange thing, and, and then as it rises through the sky, it becomes smaller and smaller, and, and that's kind of what it what it felt like to be a dad to me. Uh, uh, I, I used to tell the kids that I was Superman. <laughs> and then I would prove it by asking them if they've ever seen me and Superman in the same room together before. Uh, but, but, you know, earlier on, it's like you're this, you're, um, uh, you know, you're important, right? And as the kids get older, you become... Uh, not less and less important, but it feels that way. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, they start listening to their friends more and, and the culture more. And, and uh, uh, But that's been hard for me. Uh, I used to love to, and I still love to read to my kids, but they won't let me do it anymore. <laughs> Jerry, you can always come over and read to my kids. I'll be over. All right. Sounds good. Uh, the difficult part of being a dad, I guess for me, it's probably managing my own expectations. I have a very uh, expected way that I think that they should be. <laughs> they, should, uh, they should treat each other with kindness. They should not be pulling each other's hair. They should you know, not be calling each other names. They should be getting in bed at 8.30. They should be brushing their teeth for 75 seconds. Like... They, <laughs> they, I, I guess, yeah, I, I like order and, uh, and finding grace in that order. You know, I think God has a lot to say about that in the Bible, that he has the law and he has grace, right? So um, just that's, 
such a tough template to follow, to, to have this regimented outline or at, at least a, a trajectory that you want your kids to be on that, like you were talking about earlier, Jerry, you want them to be successful and we're setting them up for success. We want to give them skills. You want to you know, shelter them from the bad things, but uh, making sure that they're not so oblivious to the way the world works. And sometimes I, I forget that they're still in development. They're, they're, they don't know why it's better to be kind. We can say it, but we have to say it over and over again. Why do we do things over and over? It's just to kind of instill that own personal culture and the way of doing things. And I think my toughest part is uh, trying to make that balance of making sure that they're doing the right things, but having grace when they're messing up and getting them back on track or, or getting them back on the rails kind of thing. And uh, I hear that gets tougher as they get older, so we'll find out. But uh, yeah, no, I, and I try not to hold things back. I try to make sure that, you know, they, they know how, they gotta know how the world works. So it's how much information do we give them? You know, do we, get them involved with uh, with um, certain relationships, tell them about money, tell them about, you know, um, what else did I have here? Just, you know, just how, why, why they should, why it's important to be helping and be in a community. So, yeah, instilling all those things and balancing those two. So that's where I find it difficult, that's for sure. Uh, Jerry, what frustrates you about the way our culture depicted, has depicted fathers? I really don't know how to answer that because because um, I haven't really paid attention. <laughs> uh, but I think if if I've picked anything up, it's that uh, fathers are portrayed as as people who don't have too much of value to add to the family. Um, I think. I think that's what I remember most about, uh, you know, I don't, I don't watch sitcoms, but I think of the ones that I've seen as kind of like the father is always the person who's getting his kids into trouble and, uh, you know, helping, helping them to do that and, and not, really, not really being the person who's there to, to uh, give the good advice, not, not the one who's... Uh, you know the the person to stand beside their their children to help them with projects or whatever they're going through it's always it always seems to be the mother and and if i have to be truthful uh you know i think i think our kids have uh you know if they've enjoyed any success or uh enjoyment in life it's because of the love of their mother really um and i've I have to be—I have to say that honestly. Uh, but I've—I've—I've uh, I've, I've noticed that not fathers aren't portrayed very in a good light, anyways, uh, in in our culture. In our culture, I find like today's culture. Um, it almost kind of portrays the father as kind of useless or like a doormat, or you know, like and. It almost seems hard because you feel like you have to jump through all these hoops just to, you know, like, prove yourself, you know. I feel like fathers have a sense of belonging, that they need a sense of belonging, I think. And it's just from the words that people say, you know, like, I, I find, like, with mothers, you know, you always have to reaffirm them that they're doing a good job and that they're being loved. And another thing for fathers, it's like, it's almost like, you know, like words of encouragement, almost to kind of pump you up like you're a hero, you know, or that you're proud of them, you know, that's another thing too, you know, and, you know, we can, we could probably even talk about a lot of the failures that we have, but, you know, it's important to get up from those and to, to move on in a better direction, not, not kind of just give up and say, well, you know, things are the way they are, you know. I don't know that I can add too much to that, really. Like, uh, fathers, like, have been portrayed, I guess, as, you know, like, say, almost a joke, almost the funny part of the family that really doesn't matter much. Like, 
but uh, we know that fathers have an impact on their children's lives and a large impact and that we are important. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think uh, one of the things is, uh, it's not, for me, it's not just the way they're portrayed in the culture. It's the, kind of a, a lack of portrayal. There's there's so much out there, right? Like there's, there's if you just, you know, dial it down to just TV, there's like so many representations and, and different characters and things out there. But uh, usually what I find lacking is the when fathers come together. Like we can sit here and we can talk and, and, and we can encourage each other about what, is going on in our lives and our struggles and you know and if that's happened in other places um in the culture when it's depicted when fathers are getting together they're just you know whew, need a break from the kids and getting away from the kids and or like it's they can it can seem like having a family is a burden in in, in culture sometimes and I, I think um it's an honor it's it's a role that uh, we get to we get to be in and uh I, I find the culture kind of lacks that encouragement. In Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And when you get together, um, it should be building each other up and encouraging one another and, and not just uh, this, you know, the joke or the buffoonery. It's fun. I, I love comedies as much as the next guy, but uh, when we're doing it in the real world, it should be building up, I think. And I think that's kind of lacking in the way that the culture depicts it sometimes. Last question. What truth has God reminded of you of over your years of being a dad that has proven helpful in raising your kids? Um, I guess one of the biggest things for me um, was consistency in your own life. I can remember as a little child, I mean, eight, maybe nine years old, going to a place where dad was going to do some work. Dad and I went in and the individual that was there, uh, when we come back out to the truck, I asked my dad, I said, who was that? And he told me who it was. And what he told me was some people are different at work than what they are at home. And it was to the point that I knew that person very well, but I didn't recognize him because of the environment that he was in. And like I said, I might have been eight, nine, ten years old. I don't know how remember how old, but that always stuck with me. And, and to me, that's been a big thing I find uh, what was helpful raising my kids was um, just simply going to somebody like whether it's Clint or somebody else that you know you could go and ask those questions like you know what fathering looks like or maybe tough things that happened you know you you just need somebody to talk through you know and I find men they just kind of like to be these lone rangers that go through life and they do everything independently and it's it's not as easy as it looks actually it's actually impossible i think you know like and you really do need to connect more with others and like you said men sharpening men and you know and sometimes too you just can't find sometimes you might need to do some searching and find those men that you're able to connect with you know don't go to tim hortons and you know start chatting it up with some guy at a picnic table that that might be weird but you know you you find somebody that you know is that that has already stand that stood out you know in your in your life what they what they have and what the kids look like and you know not look like but you know what I mean. <laughs> but somebody with more experience in life, you know. Uh, I think I think that my kids uh, probably already know what I'm going to say because I've said it enough uh, recently that the greatest truth that I know of for fathers and for my life in general and for anyone's life is uh, that the one who trusts in the Lord will never be disappointed. And uh, I find that whenever I feel inadequate or or not up to the task whatever the task may be whether it's fathering or or whatever whatever it is uh, I'm just reminded that that's the whole point and that uh, you know I, I'm I'm not I'm not up to the task uh, but uh, the Lord the Lord has made it so that I need him, 
And so my greatest need is to recognize that and, to, and just to simply trust. And uh, so I, I, I try to do that, and I, and, I, and I know that when I trust the Lord, I won't be disappointed. Amen, brother. What has God reminded me over the years? Um, well, as funny enough, uh, the very first memory verse I ever learned was Proverbs 51, 15, verse 1, was that uh, a gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I learned that as a kid. And uh, as a man, uh, <laughs> I think, I think uh, naturally we carry some, some anger or some... There, there's something uh, inside of us that uh, gets fr- frustrated. We all get frustrated, man, woman, child. Uh, but that, that's one of those verses that, like, uh, like Jerry was saying, you, you need God. God knew I needed that, that uh, I needed to be constantly reminded that the words or the way I say my words are, have such uh, an impact on, on those around me. And, uh, you know, yelling and... and, and uh, you know, putting down that as you get what you give, and if you give that out, that uh, then it's going to result in um, some some tough feedback for sure. And the other side of that coin is our actions, our words, and our actions. They just so uh, play into one another. And just like when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he could have told them to wash each other's feet, but the fact that he did it it shows that you know a, a living example and we need to be a living example for our kids through the things that we say the way we say it and the things that we do so yeah starting with that that first memory verse kind of i think uh, god had set me on a path and and that's uh one that i think think on often is that uh, <laughs> i don't always follow it like i said but that's uh that's what i strive to be and i'm quicker to catch myself if uh, if i do have a harsh word and yeah it stirs up anger it's the truth so uh, it can, things can escalate quickly, as we all know. So, but uh, that's, that's what I've been reminded of. Uh, I just want to thank everybody, all the fathers here, and uh, we'll turn it back over to perhaps Mr. Fillmore. Sounds good. Sound good? Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Can we, can we hear it for these guys? I love that we get to be a church that values community and that we can have all kinds of faces and people in different stages of life up on stage sharing from their experience, sharing from the truth of God's word. Um, This should never be a spot where people come for a Celebration Sunday service and they're waiting to hear a professional give a performance from a stage. Because you're not going to find it here. (laughs) Um, yeah, we're a church that values community, and I, I love hearing from people in our church. Um, but it's always kind of the same answer when you ask people to share on stage. It's like, uh, and for the dads here, the moms who shared, other people who come up on different occasions, it's, it's often like, well, I don't know if I have anything really great to share. I don't know if I'm the model parent to be up here. I don't know if I have it figured out yet. Well, praise God that's not the case because that would make for some pretty quiet Sundays on this stage if we had to have everything figured out and perfect before we got up to share from our experience and share the journey together. So here's my big thought, and I just want to echo exactly what you said, Jerry. Dads, you're not perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. But we get to serve a perfect Heavenly Father who will never fail, never forsake us, And it's his grace and mercy that he extends to us in our need that we get to extend through us to our kids in their need, because they've got the same need. I don't know how your parenting style, your mentoring style, your employer style, your management style, your discipling style, I don't know how it was framed over the years. Maybe it looks like this. I don't want to repeat how my dad raised me. So I'm going to try my very best not to mess up like he messed up. Or maybe it's like, I had a great father. I had a great coach, had a great boss. I, I just want to be just like them. And I, I really hope that I can, I can do everything just the way they did it and not mess up, right? I remember when Reese was born, I've told you a little bit about that story and my failings in that. 
Um, but we stayed in hospital for a few days, and then there's this weird time where the doctors and the nurses say, okay, you're good to go home. And they give you this baby, and it's like, what do we do now? And I carried the car seat for the first time with Reese in it. And you know how parents just kind of gingerly, you know, it's off the hip, or, it's on the, or maybe one pinky, and they're carrying it? I had this thing like a football, my arms around it, I'm thinking, okay, if anybody comes in the hallway, I'm just, I can throw an elbow or something, or when we get in the... And then when we strapped him in the car, make sure it's so snug and secure, double check, triple check, quadruple check. And then I drove 40 kilometers an hour all the way home. It took forever. Because I just don't want to mess it up. And you want to protect your kids. You remember that first scrape, that first scratch? It's like, oh no, they're not perfect anymore. Maybe you get frustrated, you raise your voice. That's what my dad always did. I said I would never do that. Messed it up. Maybe you're thinking it's too late. You know, I, I have messed it up. Now what do I do? Well, I want to talk about a father and son in the Bible. So if you turn to the book of Genesis, we're going to be towards the end. On Mother's Day, we talked about Jochebed. You remember she was Moses' mom? She released her baby God brought Moses back, funded by Pharaoh, miraculous, it was awesome, her faith in a difficult season. Let's go 400 years back through Egyptian slavery to the time when the people of Israel came into Egypt. You remember Joseph? Joseph is a guy that I really can't think of anything bad to say about him. He's just a moral, stand-up, character kind of guy. Genesis chapter 37, look at verse 4. Joseph is 17 years old. He's the youngest of 11 brothers at this point, I think. He's got 10 older brothers. They're bullying him. They're picking on him. Verse 4, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Every word was just jeering and snarling and violent towards Joseph. So they decide, let's kill him. Now we don't want that blood in our hands. Let's throw him in a well. And then the oldest, Reuben, he says, no, let's not sell him. So he comes back to get him out of the well. He, he convinces the brothers that we shouldn't kill him. And then Judah says, well, let's make some profit off him. So they sell Joseph into slavery, slave traders headed for Egypt. They take his coat, rip it, put blood on it, and give their dad this story, this lie that wild animals killed your son. So Joseph goes from slavery to second in command in Potiphar's house. Jump to chapter 39. Look at verse 3. Here's how it happened. His master, Potiphar, who purchased Joseph as a slave in Egypt, saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Isn't that beautiful? And then Potiphar's wife, probably this beautiful Egyptian woman, rich, wealthy, tries to tempt Joseph. Joseph, being of such high moral character, faithfulness to his God, he ditches his coat and he flees. He runs. Potiphar's wife makes up this lie. Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. He's in prison, this innocent man. Don't you think some of the bitterness would set in at that point? The frustration? Like if I was in that situation, I would say, God, why? Look at my character. Look at how I've done. Haven't, hasn't my lifestyle to this point Shouldn't, shouldn't that bring me success? And now my brothers have thrown me in a well. Now I'm back in prison, in the pit. Wouldn't that frustration and bitterness set in? But not for Joseph. Look at chapter 39 and verse 22. The keeper of the prison, look at how ironic this is. This is crazy. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. All the prisoners who were in the prison are under Joseph's command. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because... The Lord was with him. I love that. Whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. Same as at Potiphar's house. From prison to in charge of the prisoners. Everyone can see that God was with Joseph and God was the one who was blessing whatever Joseph touched, whatever Joseph did. So then there's a cupbearer, a chief baker to Pharaoh that get thrown into prison. They have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams. The interpretation is proven to be true. And then Joseph's one request, chapter 40, 
Verse 14. Only remember me when it is well with you. When you get out of prison, when you're back to Pharaoh, remember me. And please, do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so, get me out of this house, because I'm innocent. Joseph's forgotten. He spends two years sitting in that prison, an innocent man, forgotten by the cupbearer that he helped to be released from prison. Wouldn't you be angry? Wouldn't you be resentful? For two years. And then Pharaoh has this dream. The cupbearer remembers. Joseph gets to interpret the dream for Pharaoh and save all these people from this famine that was coming. Prepare the Egyptians for the famine. Joseph's brothers and his father, his family back at home, they need supplies in the famine. They come to Egypt. You know the story. There's this miraculous, crazy, ironic moment where the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery, threw him in that pit, wanted to kill him, hated his guts, are now standing before Joseph, and Joseph has this opportunity. He can take their life just like that. He's got all the power in Egypt to do as he pleases with this bunch. You know the story. He falls on their necks. He embraces them. He kisses them. Then there's this famous line, chapter 50, verse 20 of Genesis. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph chose to see how God used him to preserve his people. But I don't want to talk about Joseph today. I want to talk about another guy. I want to talk about Joseph's father. Do you remember him? Do you remember his first name? Do you know what Jacob means? Cheater. Cheater. Look at this. Jump all the way back 25 chapters, Genesis chapter 25. Verse 22, you know why they called him Jacob? Look at this, verse 22. The children struggled together within her. Rebecca, Jacob's mom. Jacob and Esau are twins within her womb. And God says this in verse 26. No, God tells her there are two nations wrestling within her. In verse 26, as they're being born, Esau comes out first. He's red and hairy. You remember the story? Then what's Jacob doing? He's clutching the heel of his brother as they're being born. So they call his name Jacob, heel catcher, deceiver, cheater, grasping to get ahead. That's Jacob, and you see it through his life. Traditional Hebrew culture, there's this whole thing about the birthright. The oldest son gets the blessing, gets a double portion of the inheritance, etc. You want to have the birthright. So Esau and Jacob... Jacob tricks Esau into selling him his birthright for a bowl of stew. Then it gets worse. Isaac's old. He's losing his sight. Rebecca overhears the conversation with Esau. Go into the field. Give me a deer. Prepare it. And then I will bless you. Rebecca comes to Jacob. Says, Jacob, here's our chance. And it just, it keeps getting worse. Genesis chapter 27. Let's read a section here starting in verse 18. Get the character of this guy, Jacob, who's Joseph's father. So Jacob went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your first. <coughs> I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game so that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Didn't I just send you out to the field and you already have an animal prepared? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my hairy son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to his father, Isaac, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Verse 23. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands because he had put these skins on his hands. You remember that? So he blessed him and he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, 
I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and then bless you. So he brought it near to him. He ate. He brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. That smells like Esau because he had put on Esau's coat, remember? And he blessed him. The liar, the cheater. Where's the character? Where's the morals? Where's the dignity? And Jacob's not a little kid at this point, just being played by his mom. The previous chapter said that Esau's 40. Jacob and Esau are twins. So Jacob is at least 40 years old at this point. He's big enough to know better. He's big enough to make his own decisions. What hope does a guy like that have of being a decent father someday? Guys, let's ask ourselves the same question. What hope do we have of being a decent father? Good role model, an uncle, an aunt, mentor, brother, sister. But then something happens in chapter 28, and I want to point this out. Would you turn there? Genesis 28. This, this is like the key in Jacob's story. He meets God personally. He's a personal experience with God. He's out on his own. He's sleeping under the stars, as dads sometimes we like to do out camping. He uses a rock for a pillow. I don't know what that's about. He dreams about this staircase to heaven. There's angels ascending and descending and God is standing at the top. And God reminds him of the promises that he made to his grandfather, Abraham. And then look at what it says in verse 15. God says to Jacob in this dream, Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I added some emphasis there in case you couldn't tell. Who's it contingent on? Is it contingent on Jacob's performance? It's contingent on God and who God is, isn't it? Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And get this part. And I did not know it. Dads, are we oblivious to the presence of God working through our dysfunction, our mistakes, our mess-ups? Jacob makes a covenant with God. He sets up this altar. He names the place Bethel, meaning house of God. Guess what? Life's not peachy perfect from that point on. There's still cheating, still bad decisions. Genesis 29, Jacob, the cheater, gets cheated by his uncle Laban. They make this deal. Laban's got two daughters, as well as I can tell. He's got Leah, who's the oldest, Rachel, who's the youngest. Apparently, Rachel was more beautiful and caught Jacob's attention. Jacob said, I'll work for you for seven years in order to marry your youngest daughter, Rachel. Okay, they shake hands. Seven years goes by, and it seemed like two days to Jacob, the Bible says, because he's so in love. Isn't that cute? They get to the wedding day, this big feast, and I don't know how this happened, but Laban tricks Jacob, takes his oldest daughter Leah, puts her in Jacob's tent. And when Jacob wakes up the morning after the wedding, he's with the wrong woman. He married the wrong woman. So he goes to Laban. Laban says, oh yeah, if you work another seven years, I'll give you my daughter Rachel. So that's what he does. 14 years, he gets Rachel. So you got this tricky father-in-law. You've got the first wife, who Jacob didn't really want. You got the second wife, who Jacob really wants, but she can't have kids. But Leah could have kids, so Leah despised Rachel, and then Rachel came up with a plan to give her maidservant to Jacob so that they could have kids. She had kids. Now Leah can't have kids, so she gives her maidservant to Jacob to have kids, and then Rachel can have kids. And then Jacob's favorite kids are Rachel's kids because Jacob loves Rachel more than Leah, but now there's four moms and all these kids. Talk about dysfunction. Yeah. How is there any hope for those kids? How's there any hope? Then there's this miraculous competitive thing with the flocks of sheep between Uncle Laban and Jacob. And Jacob secures the better sheep for himself because of these sticks that he put in their water while they're mating. And I don't know, understand how it happens, but he, he makes this tricky deal with Uncle Laban. Laban thinks he's going to profit, but Jacob actually profits. And then Jacob realizes that God is the one 
who's protecting him from the harm of the trickery of his uncle Laban. Genesis 31 and verse 20. Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. 14 years working for you, got my wives, we've served more years, it's time to go. So in verse 21, he fled with all that he had, arose and crossed the Euphrates River, set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. That term tricked in verse 20, it means he stole the heart of Laban. His kids, grandkids, possessions. It says that Rachel even went in and took the gods and then they left. So Laban pursues and God steps in and says, don't, don't stop Jacob. If not for God's mercy and grace, Jacob would have no hope. Then Jacob finds out his big brother Esau is coming to meet him. He's deathly afraid. He's trying to figure out some sort of plan. How do I get out of this? Just in case I'm going to separate all the families and I'm going to put my favorite at the back and my least favorite at the front in case we get attacked and then maybe they can escape. And he's, he's just trying to scheme. He's trying to strive. He's trying to deceive and trick and lie. And then he runs into the presence of God again. We're going to look at this more later on this summer in our Conversations with God series as we talk about prayer, but look at Genesis chapter 32. This is where I want to end today. Verse 24. Jacob's getting his plan for when Esau arrives, thinking Esau is going to want to just slaughter everyone and everything. And then Jacob is left alone in verse 24. It's just him. Just like that night he slept under the stars on the rock. And then it says, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. All night they wrestled. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he just touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out a joint as he wrestled with him. I love how the man wrestling, God wrestling with Jacob, just, just touches his hip. I think about the thorn in the flesh that the Apostle Paul had, and it was said, that's going to remain with you so that my grace can be made perfect in your weakness. My power can shine through your weakness so that you can learn to lean on me. After this night wrestling God, Jacob's hip is out of place. It says that Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his days. Not, not a chip on the shoulder, but a limp in the hip. So that everyone who saw, it was this visual picture that he needed to lean on God. In all of his striving, and all of his fighting, and all of his wrestling, God touches his hip and now he walks with this limp. I think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. God changed Jacob's name that night from cheater to Israel. Israel literally is Sarah L. Fight God. Persist God. Jacob, who wrestled with God, prevailed, persisted, fought, strove, he will get to see that God is fighting for him. God is fighting for his people. The God who you've been fighting will fight for you. Jacob, all those times that you were persistent, working, striving, tricking, conniving, any blessing, any gain, any good things in your life are only because God was striving for you. Not because of your performance, but because of what God was doing for you. God was protecting you. God was fighting for you. Dads, you can't secure a great future and a perfect upbringing for your kids apart from God's grace and mercy. Can't do it. His blessing in your life. You're going to mess up, just like Jacob messed up. Your kids are likely going to see you make poor choices, just like Jacob lied, like he cheated, like he stole. But God's presence and blessing in Jacob's life changed everything. Joseph seems to be polar opposite from his father, but there's this unique link between the two. When they're alone, encountering the presence of God, 
And any blessing they experienced was through God's power, his grace and mercy in their life when they were at their lowest point. As Joseph's down in that prison, as Jacob's spending the night by himself pleading and crying on behalf of his family because he thinks Esau is coming over the hill, face to face with the presence of God. God's presence and blessing in the dark, difficult, dysfunctional, frustrating moments of life. So dads, moms, uncles, aunts, mentors, friends, managers, disciple makers, all these people who share the journey, we're going to mess up, we're going to try to do things in our own strength, we're going to fail. But the hope for the next generation is not in our performance, it's not in our perfection, it's in our limp. It's the example of God's grace and mercy meeting us where we're at. The times in life when we realize in our weakness, he is strong. And the grace and mercy that we need is exactly what our kids need. They don't need a perfect father. Your kids need an imperfect father who points them to the grace and mercy of their perfect heavenly father. Could we stand and pray for our fathers today? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. God, we know this service is not about us. We know we're not here to celebrate or put on pedestals the perfect examples of fatherhood, but in our mess, in our weakness, in our dysfunction, in our failures, your grace, your mercy, your perfection shine through that, Father. We thank you so much that you are our perfect heavenly Father. God, I pray that we would show our kids each and every day that we mess up, we make mistakes, but in those mistakes, in the dark moments, in the prison cell, in the night spent alone pleading on behalf of our family, your strength, your grace, your mercy come running through. And anything we have in this life is only by the hand of blessing from the Father of lights, every good and perfect gift. God, we thank you that you are a good heavenly father. You are a good, good father. And God, we want to take a moment this morning just to honor you as our heavenly father. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are willing to give your only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, I, I pray for dads, I pray for moms, I pray for aunts and uncles, I pray for all who are gathered here today in whatever capacity and life stage they are in. God, would you help us to understand our need of you and then to receive your grace and mercy through the broken body and the shed blood of your son, which paid the price and cleansed us from our sins so that we can have forgiveness and new life. God, would you help us to receive that? And would you help us to extend it God, we thank you for who you are today. Thank you for this Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.